Gunter is currently a research fellow at the Moses Mendelssohn Center for European uh, Jewish Studies at Potsdam University, and he's at the group uh, Société Religion La Cité at the, cent at the CNRS, which is the most prestigious research center in France. And he's also, I'm happy to say, a senior research fellow at ISGAP. And uh, thanks to Gunter and the great work that he's doing, uh, ISGAP opened a program in December at the Sorbonne and the CNRS, thanks to the hard work of Gunter, and not only the hard work of Gunter, but I think it's uh, the, uh, fruit, the, the fruit, picking of the fruit from uh, many, many years of research and working on these issues. Um, I met Gunter, it's like almost 10 years ago. He's a fellow traveler and somebody who's been fighting anti-Semitism and bigotry through his uh, high-quality research for many years. So it's really a pleasure to welcome Gunter, who just flew in, and we're going to have a short uh, conversation with Gunter. He'll, he'll speak about his book. The topic of his uh, lecture tonight is Muslim anti-Semitism in France and in Western Europe. So Gunter. Thank you very much. It's, uh, it's really an honor to speak here and to you, and uh, thanks for the invitation. And it's not true that it's uh, on my initiative, it's your initiative also in France and also in Rome. There's a new program um, in, in universities in, in France and in, in Italy um, to make um, the study of anti-Semitism an issue. It has become more and more clear in recent years that anti-Semitism is a very important issue to, to, uh, to fight against and also to do research about. Because only if we understand what we, what we face, we can combat it. And we have to understand it in depth and we have to understand it in the current forms and the current manifestations. Because anti-Semitism is a very old hatred, but it's changing and the forms are changing. With the recent attacks in France and Copenhagen um, and previously also in other places, uh, it has become clear to many that um, anti-Semitism is a rising uh, problem, uh, a very serious um, a security, security concern for the Jewish communities, of course, but also for European societies in general. And some politicians have recognized that, um, but um, as for now, not enough. Um, some, as Manuel Valls, you might know, the French Prime Minister, um, he speaks out against, uh, against anti-Semitism in very clear words, um, but the government should do more, and it's, it's not enough. And we have to understand uh, where it's coming from. So anti-Semitism for Muslims is only one part of it, but it's an important part of it. It is not easy to uh, put down the numbers exactly, um, because we, I can show you only a statistics here from France. You see their um, rise of anti-Semitism over the years. Um, you go here from 1994 uh, to the right 2014. And you see that there is a rise in anti-Semitic incidents um, and a rise also in the uh, year 2014. And what is difficult to see here is, but it's in the, the, um, the numbers here, this is the, these are the violent acts. 
so unfortunately, not only the numbers of uh, anti-Semitism has uh, anti-Semitic acts have increased, but uh, very much so the violent acts uh, compared to the 1990s. That's a huge increase. And uh, now in France, it's difficult to estimate how many of these anti-Semitic acts and violent acts, um, how many of these perpetrators are Muslim or non-Muslim. But estimations go about half. Half of the perpetrators in France um, are Muslim. And if you think of the violent acts, uh, at least the, um, the terrorist acts in the recent years, um, all of them uh, were Muslims. In Germany, you have also terrorists uh, from the far right who, um, who try to, uh, for example, put a bomb and the, uh, in Munich, <coughs> but that was in 2003. Uh, but the terrorist threat, the most terrorist threat against Jewish communities uh, comes from uh, Muslim perpetrators. Um, you can also see that in, um, well, I cannot go through all the slides because I don't, we don't have time now and I want to give you the opportunity to, um, to also ask questions. But you can see that from different surveys, that was a survey done by the, uh, um, an agency from the European Union. Um, they asked about 5,600 uh, uh, Jews about their experiences and those who had um, been harassed or um, had um, experienced anti-Semitic violence or threats they were asked to, to, um, to say what they think what was the profile of the perpetrators. And you see clearly that Muslims were the, um, the, um, the greatest, uh, um, the, the category with the most, most people said they were of Muslim background. Um, and interesting also that you see here from the left, there were more perpetrators than from the right. And this is only an average of these eight countries. Yeah, Belgium, France, Germany, Hungary, Italy, Latvia, Sweden, and uh, the UK. Um, some have questioned that there is a difference between the, um, the uh, general population and Muslims in the attitudes, um, attitudes towards Jews. And we've seen now from many surveys, and ISCAP just published um, um, a review <coughs> I did of surveys. It's on the website if you're more interested in that, of surveys. You make the distinction of anti-Semitic attitudes among Muslims and non-Muslims. And you can see in all these surveys that there is a difference. You see, this is a survey <coughs> in, uh, here in uh, three countries. You see that in UK, um, 7% of the overall population had negative view of Jews and 44% of the Muslim sample. So there's a huge difference. And Germany was uh, staggering 22% of the general population said they have a negative view of Jews and 44% um, among the Muslim population in Germany. And in France, 13 to 28. I won't go through these different surveys, but we can see um, if we look into correlations, is that related to, to what? It's related often, in correlations at least, to, um, to religiosity, sorry, to, 
the higher you, um, the, the, um, the people indicate their religiosity, the higher the anti-Semitic attitudes are. Um, and also, the more fundamentalist, fundamentalist the interpretations of Islam are, the higher the anti-Semitic attitudes. And what the, these um, surveys also found is also interesting, it's not related to discrimination or perceived discrimination, what is often said. Uh, this is not what the surveys say. It is not related to legal restrictions of, of Islamic practice. Yeah, in France, for example, you have uh, uh, more restrictions on, uh, on uh, Islamic practice than, let's say, in the UK. But it's not related to that. It's not related to socioeconomic um, um, variables. So I won't go through that. But the question I have, and I think it is important to look really in depth into that, if somebody says he has or she has a negative opinion of Jews, then my question is why? Is there, so there is no good reason, we know that. It's bigotry, but why did they say it? How, what is the justification? If we want to combat it, we have to know what the tropes are. So what we can see, and I gave, I gave uh, many, many examples in this book, uh, how it is articulated, what people say. So what, what we can see that um, this is a study in, uh, uh, with young men, uh, Muslim men, in the UK, in um, Germany, and in France. And we can find these four categories of justification. So we can find very classic anti-Semitic stereotypes, like um, conspiracy theories, Jews, have too much influence uh, in the business world, Jews run the world, or Jews are very, all very rich, and so on. This is common among many. And then we have another category that is related to Israel. Um, and that is often comes in the, in the term, Jews kill children. And very often, in most cases, uh, young Muslims do not distinguish between Israelis and Jews. So it's the Jews kill children, um, which is off. I mean, if you read the press, then it's different. In European uh, newspapers, you read Israeli soldiers kill children uh, in that way. But in, if you ask young people, they say Jews kill the children. And very often it's understood at that also in the newspapers. But this is another discussion. Um, <clears throat> and it is also interesting if you go, I don't have time really to go into that, but you also find it in the book, that it's not about if, uh, if there is a negative view of Israel, it's a demonized view of Israel, which one, the, this Jews kill or Israelis kill children, um, if, if Israelis really do that, kill, killing children on purpose, they are evil. So this is the, the demonization of Israel, of course. And it's also what becomes clear if you look into the justifications, it's not about borders. It's not about some settlements. It's not about um, some uh, control uh, or petrol controls. It's, it's about Israel's existence in itself. Um, <clears throat> and the third category is 
not related at all to Israel, and often not even to classic anti-Semitic stereotypes, is, it is related to um, um, ethnic and religious identities or Islam itself. So it comes um, that obviously not all Muslims, um, I always have to say that if we also look on surveys, if, if in some surveys we see almost in the French survey, for example, 46% um, of Muslims um, can be seen as having uh, many anti-Semitic attitudes. So it's almost half of the Muslim population. We see the other half does not have these attitudes. So it's always not everybody and not all Muslims. So, but <clears throat> here in this third, in this, uh, third category, we see um, young men arguing that um, they say Jews and uh, Muslims have always been enemies and I as a Muslim therefore don't like Jews. Um, this kind of essentialization um, is done and this goes also with an Arab identity as saying Arabs hate Jews and therefore I also because I'm Arab don't like Jews. Uh, we have to know that um, in Europe, I uh, didn't have time to, to go really into the details, but in Europe, Muslims uh, come from very different backgrounds, right? Some are Arabs, but um, this is the case in France. The majority of them come from uh, Maghreb countries, so from Algeria, Morocco, Tunisia. But in Germany, most uh, Muslims have a Turkish background. And in the UK, most Muslims have a background from today's India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh. So it's a very different background. And the, the fourth category, I think is the maybe most revealing, but also the most frightening one, is that for many they don't feel the need of a justification. And there you can also find many examples here on, um, in, in this book. They don't need a justification. For them it's just normal not to like Jews or to hate even Jews um, and you find it also in language that um, at least in, in, in France and in Germany um, and also other studies um, have uh, shown that, uh, that that the word Jew itself has become an insult in on schoolyards. Uh, so it is like if this is an insult it is understood that something negative so it's very difficult also then, if it's such a norm, even in the language, uh, for uh, students or young people to resist that, if it's so much in the language. Because if they stand up and say, no, don't uh, call anybody a Jew, meaning in a negative way, they are very easily then targeted as being Jewish themselves, even if they're not. Jew is just... It is uh, very difficult, maybe, um, to uh, to understand that, but it's it's a common practice in in many schoolyards today. It's just used as an insult among all non-Jews, right? Even if in the school there's not a single Jew, it is, can be or it is often used as an insult. So, but that leads me to something. Um, I want to say also that we also found anti-antisemites. And this is maybe the, um, the most, for me, the most interesting chapter in this book. 
um, why do some people stand up in an environment and saying, I don't like what my friend said uh, about Jews. Um, I even, I had one interview saying, my father said he wished me to be a martyr and to go to Israel and blow as many Jews up as I can. And he responded, as he said in the interview at least, he responded saying, well this, he stood up against his father saying, um, we cannot, uh, I cannot kill innocent people, I don't want to kill myself, and nobody should be hurt or discriminated against uh, for any religious or racial or uh, any kind of, of this reason. So we have also people standing up and um, we, I think we have to, um, to, to identify them, to support them and maybe understand better uh, where it's coming from and then um, help in education um, to, to fight uh, this bigotry. Um, it's, it's a big uh, topic. Um, you can see some factors of influence here. <clears throat> um, and school is an important influence still. Um, I don't know if you're aware of the education system in, in European countries, it's very diverse and different. Um, family and friends um, are important. Um, media, um, but maybe we can leave that to the discussions because I think um, we have to go on and I'm very happy to expand on any uh, of the questions um, you, you might have. I just want to finish um, <clears throat> with conclusions that um, it is, I think, um, it would be a mistake to try to identify one single source of anti-Semitism in general or anti-Semitism among Muslims, they are many different sources and all the individuals who, who um, believe in anti-Semitic stereotypes and act uh, on that, they all have different rationals and we have to analyze them, um, them all. Um, but it also has become clear that the Muslim anti-Semitism we face cannot reduce uh, to anger toward Israeli politics. That is often done uh, in, uh, in newspapers, even by politicians. <coughs> uh, but this is not what, uh, uh, what research shows. And there's also no direct relation between experiences of discrimination and anti-Semitism. And I'm happy to go into detail uh, if you're interested. But there is often a fantasy um, of an alleged global war against the Muslims, which some, uh, again I say, not all, not even the majority, uh, but some Muslims buy that, that they think there is a global war against all Muslims in the world. And this often includes anti-Semitic conspiracy theories, because who then is responsible for the global war against the Muslims it is either the United States and often in cooperation with the Jews. Um, and what we also can see that certain perceptions, and I say certain perceptions, of Islam and the Muslim identity, uh, they include even hatred um, against Jews. So thank you very much. Um, I hope that we can have a debate um, I'm not sure how long that is going to be, but we have, I think, 10 minutes.
Thank you. Yes, sir. Did you find in your research that the academic discipline in Middle East studies is a major source of anti-Semitism amongst Muslims and non-Muslims in Europe? And this is David Silverstein who runs Amsia? Asmia. Asmia, excuse me. It's a, um, a group of scholars dealing with uh, issues in the Middle East from a more uh, fair perspective. Yeah. So thank you very much for that question. It is... Sorry? Okay. So the question was, is the mid are the Middle Eastern studies uh, in Europe important uh, for, uh, for anti-Semitism anti among Muslims? Um, I think it's less important than here in the United States because they are not very influential directly. They're influ influential maybe on the uh, intellectuals, but most of the Muslims in Europe, um, they are not directly influenced by the academic debates. What about among non-Muslims? Um, yeah. Again, the, these uh, Middle Eastern centers are often biased when it comes to Israel particularly, and um, they also have often excused anti-Semitism among Muslims, but they are, as far as I can see, not very influential uh, in, uh, in the political debate. But they're not doing, most of them are not doing good, that's right. Thank you. Yes, please. It's helpful that your name is Jekeli because you're not sounding uh, like a Jewish name. And it's been seen with uh, several Jewish filmmakers. They come from France or from Germany. And although they may be Jewish, in fact, they are Jewish because they came from France and Germany. And they were perceived as anti-Semitic to begin with because France and Germany are both anti-Semitic in the perception of many people, they were able to do the research better than were the people who are perceived like, with my name, Dreyfus or, or Schwartz or something like that. So it's more easy for you to do research, possibly, because you have a neutral name that doesn't give away the store. Well, we were doing the interviews with a group of, um, with a group of interviewers. So, oh yes, the question. The question was, <coughs> does my name help me to do the research? Um, so, indirect interaction with the interviewees, um, that wasn't too important because, I mean, you can give any name, and I also, I always gave only my first name, and we were a group of interviewers, so we didn't see any differences. We had uh, two female interviewers, and two male interviewers, and two Muslim interviewers, and two non-Muslim interviewers. So, uh, that didn't affect much the, um, the interviews. Then afterwards in presenting the research, um, I'm not sure if that, uh, if that, uh, that might help to have a non-Jewish background, um, but um, I am confident that uh, it's the quality of research that counts. And uh, yeah, we should, uh, we should present the results we find. But you know, reality is that if you're perceived as skewing Jewish, that it won't be perceived the same way. The same information will be perceived as half empty and not half full. Yeah. And it's the same information, of course. Yeah. That's right. Thank you. Yes. I kind of disagree with that because um, I, uh, in my experience, a lot of Jews here, when they run for office, 
they're so defensive about being Jewish that they bend over backwards and they're they're not very pro-Israel and they have to show the world how fair and balanced they are. So so that was a comment. I'm going to interject. Let's try to focus the questions on, on Gunter's presentation and the issue of the book, if it's possible. I think that, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Wait, after, oh, the people who were interviewed, were they born in Europe and descended from immigrants, or were they immigrants themselves? Yeah. Most of them were born in Europe. Yes. Not all of them, but most of them were born in Europe. You find it detailed uh, in, the, in the back, I think there is a list, but <clears throat> yeah. So from what you presented, and I recognize it as just a very small piece of research, but it, it, the fact that it's most, that the, the fundamentalists have the more entrenched, extreme anti-Semitic views, or at least at a higher ratio. That's right. Would you suggest that there's like some something fruitful to be gained by interfaith dialogue? Like, how do you propose, if you have, sorry, it's a big question, what do you recommend? Mm. Yeah. You're not gonna try to, you're not gonna yeah. defeat them by strength. You have to really try. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, yes, the one important, the question was, what do we do? <coughs> yeah, okay. yep. all right, um, and, uh, and seeing that these, that the fundamentalists, um, that they have the highest percentage of um, those who have anti-Semitic ideas. Um, Are they the greatest percentage of the population? No, it is um, of the Muslim population. Okay. You want to say yes? No, it's um, it is. It depends always on how you define them, fundamentalists. But it is um, it is the what we can see is that the among the Muslim organizations in Europe. Um, many of them, if not the majority of the Muslim organizations in Europe, are influenced by Islamist organizations, such as the Muslim Brotherhood, or in Germany, Mili Gurish, which is uh, which was founded by Erbakan, who was a fierce anti-Semite. He died in 2012, I think. Um, but um, yeah, so you have this influence of Islamist organizations in Europe and um, the governments in Europe have worked with them for a long time, have even um, given them subsidies for work with Jews, which I think is a very bad thing. Um, so that needs to stop, for example. If you look then there are surveys asking Muslims if they feel represented by the Muslim organizations. And only less than half of them do feel represented by any of the Muslim organizations. So from there you conclude that it's not the majority, but often they present, represent them, or present themselves as being uh, representative in the UK, for example. Um, so, but also in France and in Germany. And it has, because the Islamist organizations, they are political organizations, they are driven, they have an agenda, and they're motivated, and they want, I mean, like in Germany, they fight for um, Muslim education in schools. So this is another thing where we should uh, see what is then 
uh, taught in school, what kind of image of Islam is taught in school. And then also, if we I know a recent survey of school books in Germany on the image of Israel, and it's a very biased image of Israel in German school books. So we have to work on that as well. We have to challenge Islamist organizations in Europe not to uh, fund their work with, uh, with students, but to challenge them on, for example, Holocaust Memorial Day. Some uh, Muslim organizations in the UK boycotted explicitly Holocaust Memorial Day in the UK. So there need to be consequences afterwards in the political interaction and so on. So I think there are concrete steps and in education I think this is where, where we can, uh, or where governments at least can do most to from an early on um, to uh, have a non-biased education. This is already to cut the bias that there is. On that note, I'm sorry. Sorry. We're going we're gonna to have to cut it short because Gunter and I are actually speaking at the JCC. There's a, an important film tonight about Ilan Halemi and um, his uh, gruesome murder in Paris in 2006. There's a film called it's after 24 hours? It's 24 hours. 24 hours, hours sorry. Days, uh, 24 days. days, days. You're right. 24 days. And it's playing around New York, and I'd really recommend you seeing it. I saw it last week, and it's, um, it's a very important film and a powerful film. And it goes back to what we were speaking about earlier, about the Islamist, not Islam and not Muslims, but radical political Islamism, and how they're using, and I'm choosing my words carefully, genocidal anti-Semitism to further their um, political aspirations. And we see the Halemi case as really an alarm for the fact that jihadist, genocidal anti-Semitism is on the streets of Europe. It was in 2006. And if we understand what we're facing today, the idea of a random act at the Delhi would never have entered into our vocabulary, that we really have to understand the uh, mind of our enemy and to confront it, and as Gunter said, through serious research, to say things that are not politically correct. I mean, Gunter, in a way, is through very serious scientific research, is saying things that is not politically correct. And we have to, at the highest academic standards, at the highest caliber of serious scholarship, really search for the truth. And I think what Gunter did is brave uh, and very important, and we all have to follow Gunther's example and really be brave in following the truth and speaking truth to power and speaking about things that are not even in the United States and perhaps even especially in the United States at this moment that are not politically correct to say. And we have to speak the truth. And uh, Gunther is a great example. And this book is very, a very important contribution to the fight for truth. So thank you. Thank you.